0: listening to the Reclaim podcast this week as we continue on our journey through the gospel of John. I'm Kyle Froman, one of your chaplains at Lee Company, and I'm thankful that you're investing your time with us by listening along today. In our last study, we wrapped up the first chapter of John's gospel with Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel. If you remember, Nathanael was apprehensive about the good that could come out of Nazareth. Yet, Philip invited him to come and see the beauty that came out of that small farming community. Upon his acknowledgement of Jesus as the Son of God, after experiencing Jesus' omniscience, Jesus left us with such a hopeful statement. You will see even greater things than these. And now, as we start chapter 2 of this gospel, we get to see just that, the very first of the greater things than these. Take a moment with me as we read through this section of scripture together, starting in John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana at Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. So as we get into this passage, I want to address the elephant in the room. Maybe that's a bad analogy since I'm hiding in the back of our closet seeking out some quiet to record this. There's absolutely no way there's an elephant fitting in our closet. But for as long as I can remember being a part of Christendom, The core value this passage always comes down to is alcohol consumption. I don't think that's the point of this narrative, but I'm sure you want to know where I stand on alcohol, so go ahead and hang out to the end of this study, and I'll give you my take. So what is the point of this first section of John chapter 2? I'm reminded of why John was writing this gospel to begin with. Near the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, we read this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This entire gospel was written so that we would believe Jesus is the Christ. The miracles that were recorded were logged so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's the lens that we have to read the story through, because that is how John framed this gospel for us. So now, the wedding. See, weddings in Jesus' time, in Jesus' region, were quite the celebration. They were a cultural celebration, a social gathering. They were a party that could last for days at a time. Really, they were a relational event that brought people together. This particular wedding was likely for someone that Jesus' family knew. Why do I say that? Because his mother was there and thus Jesus was there, indicating that they were in the circle of the celebration. I love that Jesus made time for this, that he made time for relationships and for gatherings. As a guest, Jesus welcomed the disciples to the party as well. This miracle wedding party was recorded so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. As the party progressed, the wine ran out. Today, if we run out of something in the middle of a party, it's no big deal, right? We run to the store, we pick it up, we got what we need, no harm, no foul. Within 30 minutes to an hour, everything is back on track. This is not the case in Jesus' time. To run out of wine is a big deal. First, to the wedding party hosts. It's an embarrassment. Think about it. You're throwing this big party and now you're just going to bring out water in jars? This just isn't going to do. Second, to replenish your wine would take way longer than what this party is going to last. So it's a good thing they had invited the right party guests. So Jesus' mom, Mary, came to him. Hey, son, they're out of wine. Why would Mary do this? Remember, this was Jesus' mom, earthly mom to the Son of God. She had to know what Jesus had inside of him. Mary knew the implications of running out of wine and was likely close to the family celebrating the wedding. So it may have been that she wanted to spare them. So she was inviting Jesus into the problem. Or maybe it was just that she wanted to show her son off, show off the power within him. Either way, Jesus' response was quick. What does this have to do with me? My time's not yet come. In other words, who are you to call out my power? This isn't a family privilege or an inside track to my power. Why are you calling me out? But his mom persisted. She told the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. She pushes through despite Jesus' caution. And Jesus decides to move forward whether it was out of being a dutiful son or that he saw God may be setting the stage for something more, he handed out some instructions to the servants. The servants, under Jesus' guidance, refilled the stone water jars to overflowing, each of them holding 20 to 30 gallons of water, so this was no small task. Jesus then instructed them to draw some water from them and present it to the master of the feast. It was amazing, the best wine yet. The master was flabbergasted. Wait, this stuff's great. Normally, the fine wine is first when people are empty and sober and hungry. Then, as they fill up, we bring out the supermarket wine because they don't know any different. But here you brought out the best last in the party 180 gallons of it. Simply amazing that you saved the best for last. And the party, she raged on. So, what's this story? really all about. Remember why John wrote the gospel? Was it to affirm alcohol consumption? Was it to leverage Jesus' power for our own pleasure? Remember, it was so that we may believe Jesus is the Christ. At the end of this wedding narrative, John tells us exactly why he shared this story. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, there's a lot of spiritual interpretations about this story, explanations of the symbolism of what happened, symbolism about Jesus being the ultimate purifier, of him being the all-providing bridegroom, the obedient son, his hour being his death and his resurrection. We could spend a lot of time discussing and philosophizing about it, But in its simplest form, this was a story about the manifested glory of Jesus. It was about Jesus revealing his glory, the glory of God. And it was about inspiring his disciples and others to faith. Miraculous evidence that this is God. And I hope that's what you see in this. Jesus' glory. Jesus' power. Evidence that he is who he says that he is. Now, I promised you a little bit more at the end of this recording, didn't I? So I'm about to make a controversial statement. I am a Christian who doesn't drink alcohol. There, I said it. It's crazy, isn't it? What's even crazier to me is that it used to be controversial to hear I am a Christian who does drink alcohol. It's amazing how things have shifted through the years. Not saying it's a bad shift, but I'm also not saying it's a good shift. But a shift has occurred nonetheless. The truth is that as soon as you heard that, you immediately drew your line in your sand. Those of you who walked the same path likely said to yourself, yes, finally. And those of you who drink alcohol likely said to yourself, here we go again. Our shields are up and our swords are drawn, ready to wage battle with each other. It's what we tend to do best, isn't it? But for the time being, let's go ahead and lay our swords down by our feet. Can we just pick up our drink of choice and talk a little bit about this? I do not believe anything in our biblical narrative forbids alcohol, at all. In fact, there's a few passages that seem to talk positively about it. What we just read in the Gospel of John. See it in 1 Timothy and Ecclesiastes, Psalm, Isaiah, Amos. On the converse, I believe that Scripture is very clear about drunkenness, and I believe that there is no room for debate there. What I can honestly tell you is that I do not bat an eye when I'm around another Christ follower drinking alcohol. It doesn't even blip my radar because to me it isn't an issue as long as it does not lead to drunkenness. So I'm sure you're confused now as to why I don't drink myself, aren't you? The depth of my answer may be shocking to you. I just don't want to. I could tell you that I don't want to drink alcohol because it's a gateway to drunkenness, which it can be. But if I told you that, I'd have to stop eating because it's a gateway to gluttony. I could tell you I don't want to drink alcohol because it's a money sink, which it can be. But if I told you that, I'd have to return all of our RC cars and sell our golf cart, because that money definitely could have been spent differently. I could tell you I don't want to drink alcohol because I've seen it rip families apart, which it certainly has. But if I told you that, I'd have to stop watching movies and Netflix, as I don't think Hollywood really builds families up. And I'd have to forgo work and hobbies, as I've seen both of those shred a fair share of families as well. I can tell you I don't want to drink alcohol because it leads to other sin. And it can. I think you get where I'm going with this. The reality is, I don't drink alcohol simply because I don't want to. I'm not against it. But I'm also certainly not for it. It remains, however, that alcohol is an extremely polarizing topic. The interesting part of this conversation is that when I come out as a non-alcoholic drinking Christian, I'm immediately labeled as legalistic. You would be amazed at how many people try to reason with me why it's okay to drink alcohol. I've never felt pressure to drink from non-Christians, yet I've never felt so much pressure to drink than from those who follow Christ. I know it's okay. I also know it's okay to eat squid too, but I stay away from it. I just really don't want to. By now, you're wondering where I'm going, so let me bring things in for a landing. Yes, alcohol does have the potential to destroy us, but it's not potential that makes it bad. A gun has the potential to kill, but in the hands of a responsible person, it becomes a completely different thing. There are many things in our lives that hold the potential to destroy us. Alcohol is just one item in a long list of things that can become destructive in our lives. So with the Bible being void of the words, do not drink alcohol, I believe we're having the wrong conversation. The conversation should be less about what is and isn't permissible and more about how do I protect myself from the potential of destruction found in all things. The question should not be, is alcohol good or bad? Rather, how do I protect myself from being destroyed by it? For some, the answer is found in moderation and accountability, and for others, the answer is found in abstination. Personally, I don't have to risk the destruction of alcohol if it never crosses my lips. That does not mean that I can't exhibit self control, it just means I won't have to. The same question should be asked of our careers, our relationships, our habits, our addictions. I love David's cry in Psalm 51 Create in me. A clean heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. How are we protecting ourselves from the potential destruction all around us? Whether that's found in alcohol or social media, the response is the same. So the question of alcohol really is not for each other, it's for ourselves. And the question isn't just alcohol, it's found in everything we consume, physically, mentally, spiritually. How do we protect ourselves from allowing things to destroy us? You don't have to think I'm looking at you differently if you drink, and I hope you don't look at me differently for not drinking. I'll even buy you a beer if you want to sit and talk about it, only if you buy me an unsweet tea as well. So with that, I hope you have an awesome week ahead. Uh, I want to remind you during these periods of social distancing and being apart. Uh, that we're only a phone call or an email away. Both Jeff and I are available to talk with you, to share with you, to encourage you. And we're cheering you on as you continue to work through the days ahead. Have a great week.